workers, we would get to hear much, we would get not quite all, but a big portion of the Bible read to us during worship. It's also a gift to the church because it gives us some foundation and flow throughout our liturgical year. So throughout the Christian year, we, we get to start with Advent, uh, anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ, and our, our uh, lectionary texts move us into Christmas, and then Epiphany, and then the baptism of our Lord. Pretty soon followed after that is Lent, and then Holy Week, and Easter, and after that we have Pentecost, and then we have the very long season of Ordinary Time. We are currently in ordinary time. The lectionary does a beautiful job of helping us learn the ancient words of our ancestors so that we get to hear the fullness of God's story for us. It's a beautiful gift. The rub in all of this is God has designed me to not always like to do what's conventional. So today, we're going to hear a scripture and a sermon that we wouldn't normally hear during ordinary time. So I'm going to invite you to open up your hearts and allow these ancient words to press into your heart. And let's just see where God takes us. So if you have ever been to church on Easter Sunday, you have likely heard this story read. So here are these words from the gospel according to John. Uh, I'm in chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Hear this good news. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the, saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken our Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrapping, wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, 
and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in, in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them the things that he had said to her. May God add a blessing upon the reading of this word. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Oh God, for the gift of these ancient words, we give you thanks. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds and imprint in us whatever message you need us to receive today. May we be changed, transformed, and uh, made into the people you have created us to be through the hearing of your word. Amen. He is risen. Thank you. The week leading up to Easter, social media was filled with encouragement from preachers to other preachers. Don't stress about the Easter sermon. All you need to say is he is risen. All right, thank you. While I appreciate the intent of their encouragement was to encourage and offer some perspective over the Easter sermon, it's not completely accurate. Because as a preacher, it's my job to tease out the message of the scripture and present it in such a way that it speaks to the congregation I'm serving. The creativity and the art of preaching is something which feeds my soul. I love language. I believe finding words to illuminate the scriptural story is an important component to the sermon. It helps to unearth this message that God has for us. It helps us to illuminate it. It helps the scripture be illuminated for us and helps us to connect with it in deeper ways. So just saying he is risen is not enough. It's not enough for you and it's not enough for me. He is risen. What is more important to you? That Jesus was fully human or that Jesus was fully divine? This was a question posed by one of my theology professors my first year in seminary. As a new seminary student, I was horrified. How on earth could I choose between Jesus' divinity and his humanity? Part of the process of seminary is to teach us students how to untangle our religious beliefs. We learned how to examine beliefs that had been taught to us both implicitly and explicitly, and to work through what we believed to be true. Processing through our thoughts helped us to not only articulate how we understood God, but it in turn helped us to be able to help you articulate how you understand God. The process was both beautiful and difficult. And when the professor posed that question that day, all I thought to myself was, will I be considered a heretic if I answer the wrong way? She, of course, was simply using a teaching technique to help us think through our beliefs and to help us articulate why we may or may not believe a certain way. 
It's a question that I continue to reflect on even today, all these years after that class. This past Lenten season, Jesus's humanity was in the foreground for me, particularly Holy Week as we journeyed through the last week of Jesus's life. The images of Jesus's body were so vivid in my head. He is risen. On Palm Sunday, the image of Jesus was regal as he sat atop a colt to enter Jerusalem. The crowds were waving their palm branches and singing Hosanna and praising him as their king. This sits in stark contrast to the images of Jesus we have from the rest of the week. Over the next several days, Jesus's public, regal and larger than life persona turns to friends, both personal and intimate. We saw Jesus as he shared a meal with his disciples, images of Jesus's body as servant, teacher, both tender and strong, filled our brains as he washed the disciples' feet, instituted the Lord's Supper, and foretold about his impending betrayal, denial, and death. In a quick turn of events, crisis hits. Jesus is arrested and his body turns from one of regality to one which bears violence. Jesus's body becomes the recipient of others' ignorance, anger, and power as he is mocked, beaten, and humiliated. He is forced to drag his own cross to the place of his death. It is horrifying. These images of Jesus are especially poignant today. As a society, as a denomination, and even as individuals, we still use and abuse the bodies of others through our own ignorance, rage, sickness, and quest for power. Haven't we learned? What will it take for us to do the hard work of introspection, self-examination, and work toward treating not only others better, but ourselves better as well. In the midst of this crisis, I wonder how the disciples reflected on Jesus's death. Shock, fear, anger, and sadness must have been some of the presenting emotions for them. Did they second guess themselves? Did they wonder what they could have or possibly should have done in order to help prevent Jesus's death? As they kept the Sabbath on the Saturday, I imagine that Mary Magdalene was full of anxiety, anxious to get over and to see where Jesus' tomb was and to check in on him. And as soon as the Sabbath was over, Mary steals away in the middle of the night to go check on Jesus. Imagine her shock in the discovery that his body was no longer there. She presumed he had been stolen. It was the only logical explanation. He is risen. After running to tell Simon Peter and the other disciples about Jesus's missing body, Mary returns to the tomb. She waits as they look in the tomb. She stays after they leave and she weeps. A profound sadness washes over her. What a shocking and horrible ending to a three-year journey with a charismatic man who had the ability to heal 
and teach and challenge and love. In that moment, her grief must have been overwhelming. I suspect that many of us can relate to overwhelming grief. Loss in life is inevitable. We lose loved ones, jobs, relationships, power, autonomy, dreams, stability, security, and so much more. And when loss comes in the midst of crisis, the trauma that we experience can take some time to process. So I'm wondering, how traumatized were all of those who followed Jesus? How traumatized was his mother who was there with him every step of the way, watching him grow, mature, teach, and preach? How was it to stay by his side as he was in pain and suffered? The sheer violence and injustice of it all is almost too much to bear. He is risen. As Mary weeps in her grief, Jesus appears for the first time. Though she doesn't realize it, Jesus' resurrected body has just interrupted her cycle of despair and hopelessness. The sheer miracle that God inhabited human form is astounding. And the sheer miracle that God was able to raise Jesus from death is beyond comprehensible. As a pastor, I have the holy privilege of being in conversation with so many different people. Many of our conversations often center around pain. Our, our community, our world is in so much pain. We hurt for our families. We hurt for the marginalized. Our bodies hurt, our minds hurt, our souls hurt. We have a hard time believing that we are worthy of God's love and that we should actually love ourselves. We focus a lot of our energy on those areas of our lives which we think are deficits. Life can feel downright hopeless at times. When I was in seminary, I worked as a chaplain at a local hospital. During one of my on-call shifts, I was paged to the room of a NICU. Uh, there had been a mother who was nine months pregnant who had been in a car accident. Her and her uh, partner had been out driving and they had been T-boned by an elderly driver. They had been rushed to the hospital and her baby had been delivered um, emergently and the baby was in pretty critical condition. So by the time I was paged to the room, the baby was eight days old and the parents had just been uh, notified by the doctors that it was time to think about when to take the baby off life support. So I was called to the room to be with the parents as they wrestled with the right time to make this decision. He is risen. I prayed harder than I think I have ever prayed in my life as I walked to that room. All I could think was, what on earth has God gotten me into? What am I supposed to say to this, these parents who are losing their baby? Who am I? And I prayed for the Spirit to work through me because I knew there was no way I could do this work on my own. When I arrived in the room that day, the weight of the room was as bad as you can imagine. 
the shock, the confusion, the grief, and the despair was so strong, it was almost tangible. I've never wanted to run away from someone else's pain so bad in my life. And as soon as that thought flickered through my mind, it was as if Jesus showed up and said, these parents need me. You need me. You better darn well stay in that hospital room. And so I stayed. I stayed with the parents as they wrestled with the right time to move the life support. I watched as they took pictures of their precious infant. I silently praised God for the gift of the nurses who were imprinting uh, footprints of the baby, cutting locks of hair, and doing other meaningful ways to memorialize this child. The parents and I talked about God being with them and with their child every step of this incredibly painful journey. They wailed and they shouted, He is risen. When Jesus said Mary's name, she immediately recognized him. I can't even imagine the switch in emotions to go from one from despair to elation in discovering that Jesus was standing right before her. Was hope immediately restored for her? Surely it must have been as she followed Jesus' command to go tell the other disciples that she had seen him. God interrupted the process of death and brought forth life in Jesus. Jesus interrupted Mary's despair and brought forth hope through his life. Mary interrupted the disciples' fear and brought forth the good news of Jesus' message. He is risen. One of the most profound parts of being with those parents of that dying baby was their compassion for the person who caused this tragedy. They understood that the death of their baby was going to have serious consequences for the driver. Their hearts broke, not just for themselves, but for this other person as well. I was beyond blown away by God's grace at work through them, that they could think and process beyond themselves in this crisis that they were in blew my mind. Their faith in God interrupted everything logical. Jesus' resurrection is the sign that with God, all things are possible. It's the reminder that God interrupts all human logic by doing the impossible. It is the reminder that death is not the end of the story. The message of the resurrection does not mean we will live without pain. Because as I am certain each and every one of us in here can attest to, life can be painful. We're going to get bruised. We're going to get beat up. We're going to be left with scars along the way. But this isn't the end. God is with us in the midst of our pain. God creates new life from our scars. With hope in Jesus, our pain can become stories of God's commitment to us. With hope, our wounds will heal. With hope, our scars fade over time and become just another part of our bodies, 
beautifully and wonderfully made in God's very own image. The parents ended up removing life support the next morning, and the baby died within moments. I don't know what happened to this family. I don't know if the parents are still together. I don't know if they went on to have other children. But what I do know is that God changed me through this experience. I had a front row seat to seeing the power of God's resurrection work in subtle ways. I saw life giving grace at work through the nurses. Life was there through the family who supported the parents, and life was there in the parents through their love of their child and their heart full of grace. You know what? It doesn't really matter if you find Jesus' humanity or his divinity more important. Because regardless, he is risen. And it doesn't matter if I find Jesus' humanity or his divinity more important. Because regardless, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks be to God for the gift of Jesus. Thanks be to God for the miracle of creating new life from death. Thanks be to God for Mary, who was the first to tell that Jesus had risen from the dead. Thanks be to God for the disciples who took the message of Jesus, followed his command, and shared the good news from the, to the ends of the earth throughout all time. And thanks be to God for each and every one of you here who 2,000 years later are still carrying on the message of Jesus' love and hope and resurrection. He is risen. Thanks be to God for that. <laughs>